We spend far too much time worried about what makes us different than the next person or better than the next person and not enough time thinking about why we should respect the next person. We all have a story, an overarching theme that runs through our lives and makes us who we are. The problem is, we think that since each of our stories is different, there's not a lot of perceived value or shared struggle. But we have far more in common than we can imagine, and what motivates one person can certainly help us as well. The Third Lab Podcast is about understanding, respecting, and appreciating the struggle that it takes to overcome immeasurable odds in order to reach your destiny. Join me as I interview and bond with some of the most inspiring and incredible people, diving into their why to get a full understanding of their being. Without each other, we have nothing. So let's go on this adventure together and take on the future with open minds and open hearts. Welcome to the Third Lap Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you again for tuning in as always. This is episode number nine of the Third Lab Podcast. I have a very special guest here today, someone that I know very well, um, someone I have the utmost respect for, and I'm extremely excited to talk to today. Um, I had to really coax her a little bit to get on the show, but she's here, um, and so this is going to be an awesome experience. I would like everybody to say what's up to my wife, Allison Marshall Davis. So what's going on, Allison? How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. You know, we had to wrangle some puppies. Uh, <laughs> we had to separate some dogs downstairs and upstairs. Um, just FYI, y'all might hear a baby boy in the background yelping and screaming. Um, he's fine. He's actually safe in his crate. The crate is, <laughs> he has everything he needs. He just has FOMO and he thinks that people are in the house having fun and he's not. So um, if you hear it, he's okay. Hampton is just fine. Um, and so, Allison, you know, I kind of gave you an introduction in regards to being my wife, but that only sort of scratches the surface of who you are. So Allison Davis is an actor, an advocate, and also a public health professional amongst so many different things. Um, anything else that you want to add on, Allison? I think that's that, those are the highlights. Um, definitely an advocate, artist, um, public health professional, student, educator, lots of things. Yeah, my baby's getting an MBA, and then she's going to take care of me for the rest of my life, so I'm going to be well-kept, you know what I mean? I'm going to be a trophy husband, you heard. I mean, you <laughs> know, be that ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> be a little arm candy, you heard, you know what I mean? It's about time. Take care of your boy now. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so we already talked about how we know each other. So Allison and I have known each other since seventh grade. Um, I've actually known my wife what was I, 11 and a half, 12, 35, some rough math there, 23 years. Um, oh. Ooh, she's older than me, so don't let her gas <laughs> it. Don't let her gas it. She's older than me. She's rocking the cradle, so don't let her gas. Um, but yeah, so we've known each other 23 years. Allison was actually one of the first people I met when I moved to New Jersey from Philadelphia in seventh grade, along with my homie Hearn, um, Mitchell Burgess, who's coming in a later episode. We all met kind of around the same time. Shouts out to Jean Gaines, too. Um, that's my little karate champion. So, you know, she'll be on here as well. <laughs> she'll be on here as well. But what up, what up? Um, that's my sister. Yeah, that's, a, that's our sister. You can't just take claim. You just can't claim her. Um, Ronnie, all the goons, man, all the folks that, you know, I met when I when I first moved to South Orange. But yeah, my wife and I have known each other 23 years. We've been together almost 11 years. So it'll be 11 years in January. We've been married 
um, a little over five years. So it'll be five and a half here soon. But yeah, I met her. Um, I fell in love with her instantly when I first laid my eyes on her. <laughs> you should see her rolling her eyes. That's not true. We were friends for a really long time. For <laughs> friends for a really long time. And then eventually after college got together in a relationship. Um, our relationship has not been the easiest relationship. You know, we've had our our struggles and you know i think that that's a whole episode of third lab podcast potentially that we probably won't touch on here but yeah so you know but it's been a wonderful relationship my wife has helped me grow exponentially in more ways than i can name or count on this show right now anyone that knows me know that i attribute a lot of my growth especially around like the queer and lgbtq community to my wife um really helping open my eyes to not just that but the plight of women specifically black women um you know always saw my mother and my aunts went through but it's different when you have contemporaries when you have a wife and you're watching her trying to grind out every single day you see society putting stumbling blocks in her way purposefully um but yeah so that's that's sort of how we met anything you want to add anything you want to discredit <laughs> so i'll just put it out there since um now i'm on your platform uh that i have been in love with this man since oh, i was 12 wow. years old that yeah the, the crush started early for me um but i mean really it's just because you've always been an incredible person and um as someone who struggled in middle school during those years um it was really it was just really wonderful to have someone who was popular and good looking and all of that stuff. Just be a good person to you and be a warm person and not act like the other idiots. Um, you know, so yeah. Yeah, I was not popular. Um, good looking is questionable. I think that's that's perspective, but I appreciate the compliments. Thank you. Yeah, no, nah, I mean it was we were always cool, you know, we always had that vibe. I always really enjoyed being in your presence. Um, you're extremely intelligent and can hold a great conversation. So aside from just being absolutely just a gorgeous woman, like you, you're really intelligent and like the conversations that we've had from little kids all the way to the ones we still currently have um, are super engaging and I'm always learning something new about you or about something else. You like to correct me when I'm wrong. I, I hate that. Um, you, I got a mom already. I, I don't need a second one. I got a second one now. She'd be correcting me like my mother do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's been it's been a journey, but it's been one that has been just a wonderful, wonderful experience, um, I think, for both of us. And so, Rep Hood, I talked a little bit about how we met, but you weren't living in South Orange your whole life. So, you know, you get a chance to kind of choose which hood you want to rep. I'm going to leave that up to you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so where, well, let's start, let's do it this way. Where were you born? And then we'll kind of work our way up. Okay, sounds good. Um, so I was born in White Plains, New York, um, which is in Westchester, which is right outside of um, New York City um, at White Plains Hospital, which was the same hospital that my mom was born in, um, and also Lucille Ball, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, born in White Plains, uh, grew up in Greenberg, New York, which is also in Westchester. Have a lot of family that's still there. New Yorker by blood. Um, and then moved around a little bit um, when I was a little kid. We finally um, moved to Jersey, lived in Newark for a while, which was an absolutely incredible experience for me. I was only like four, five, six at the time. Um, but the block that we lived on was just filled with really diverse people. Um, and I, I sort of credit that block with 
shaping who I am today and, and sort of how I view the world. We had like a, a wonderful gay couple that lived across the street from us. We lived down the street from a council member, my best friend who lived around the block. It was just like a wonderful block to grow up on. Then when it was time for me to be enrolled in school, my parents moved to the suburbs, uh, to South Orange, um, which I definitely call my home because that's where I met you. That's where I met my best friends in the world, um, who I'm still best friends with today. And yeah, South Orange grew up there. Also I have to shout out Tallahassee because went to the number one HBCU in the country, Florida A&M University. Um, stop shaking your head. And then of course, always New York. You know, we moved to Queens and I always have just been drawn to New York. So yeah, that that's great. Um, also, shout out to your parents, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Marshall. Clearly can't forget them. The invitation is open for whenever they want to join the podcast because they both individually have really dope stories. But collectively, as a couple, I remember when we were getting married, like your parents called me out to South Orange. It was like, yo, Ma, come, you got to talk to us before, before they make this happen. And it was such a great experience. I mean, first, it was hilarious watching your parents talk over each other. Um, it was enjoyable. I had to like, it was the first time that like left brain, right brain really kicked in. I had to split it down the middle. So the left ear could hear your dad, the right ear could hear your mom and I could catch all of it because they were going, they were giving like excellent advice, but they were doing it at the same time. <laughs> um, but it, like your parents are amazing. You know, they from, well, your mom was skeptical. Um, but you know, for, for the most part, she was also being like that protective parent. And I always respect that. Um, she, she was really looking out for your best interest, but you know, since we've been together, they've just been in our corner. My parents have been in our corner. Like it's just been dope, man. You know, I've gotten to know your family, you know, all of them, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, like you have such an incredible family that are all really loving and open people. So you know, I got a chance to go up to see some of where you were from in Westchester. Um, I don't know much about Westchester, but it was cool to connect with your family in that way. And uh, yeah, we lived in New York. My wife, it was we, I, it was better than Los Angeles. Like we, had, I knew I had to concede L.A. or New York City, and I was like, all right, let's do. <laughs> I was already in New York, so I was like, let's not go all the way to the West Coast where we have no one. Um, so yeah, we had some great years in Queens before we relocated to Philadelphia, where we are now. Um, and then figuring out what's next as we, you know, think about children and think about expanding our family unit beyond just two puppies. Um, you know, we need more space because the dogs are already still in the house up here. So, um, but yeah, you know, South Orange um, definitely played an integral role, I think, in both of our lives as did the other destinations that came after. Yeah, shouts out to fam, you know, uh, number one HBCU, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll take that. It's your show. Okay. So, yeah, it's number one. Uh, it's number one. Until I get somebody else over here from another HBCU, that will inevitably be the number one HBCU. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's all love. Like, yeah, we, it, it's sort of like, you know, I can talk about my brother, you can't. So, so we, we definitely go hard at each other, but then we also go hard for each other. So, um, shout out to all the HBCUs really. Yeah, definitely. Shout outs to all the HBCUs, shout outs to all the alumni from these prestigious universities and institutions with like really just decorated histories. There are so many of them, you know, I think that we overlook a lot of them. I don't know more than half of them just off the top of my mind, but you know, I've met people that have graduated from so many of them and, and like really righteous people and really align with their purpose, which I love. And so, 
you know, we talked about your hood. We talk about how we know each other, which is pretty straightforward. Let's dive into the meat of this thing, man. You know, the whole purpose is we're sitting here to get to know Allison Davis better. And so talk to us about your story, you know, before we logged on, kind of said, we'll start with FAMU. And so talk to us about your experience at FAM and kind of how that shaped the early part of your career. Sure. Actually, so I'm going to actually take it a step back a little bit further. Um, so after high school, I was really set on being an actor. That was my, it just was my calling. And so I went to the University of Hartford, which um, the Hart School of Music is their performing arts department, um, which is, you know, kind of sort of prestigious, not, not terribly. But I auditioned, got in, um, and was one of 12 people in our cohort um, of actor training students, but I was the only Black student in that class. And so um, I went there for a year and a half and just felt like something was missing, was terribly unhappy, and just felt like an outsider. And so I left there and was bouncing around a little bit, went to Essex County College for a little while to take some some undergraduate courses. And then I was like, okay, I need to I need to commit to going back to school, get this degree and stop proving everyone right about, you know, not caring about my education and not having any sort of direction. So my cousin Janine is a also a graduate of FAMU and she absolutely loved it. She raved about it. Um, I heard great things about it. So it was one of several schools that I applied to, but they were the first, first that accepted me, threw me, you know, a, a smidge of money. And yeah, so I was like, okay, Florida, let's do this. This is the, the furthest away from home that I've ever been for an extended period of time. Had never really thought about the fact that I was often the only Black person in the room. It just, I don't know, growing up in a very diverse city, like, or diverse town, I guess, like South Orange, it's very easy to like gloss over race and have it not really, I don't know, if you're, if you're just not presented with it every day, then it's easy to just kind of let it fade to the background. But so yeah, went to FAM. And when I tell you this was the most amazing experience of my life, like I felt, I found my people artists, actors, advocates, people who are just passionate about their direction, passionate about, you know, the issues that impacted them, um, passionate about their communities, things that I just, I don't know, it was just, it was a whole new world for me. And just being among people who looked like me and not having to explain anything to anyone or like, you know, talk about the context of different things, like you just know. It was truly a life altering experience and just opened my eyes to so many things that I was just blind to before. So it was also good because I was training to become an actor, but I wasn't learning anything else. And so going to FAM, I got a much broader view of theater. And so I really kind of honed in on like marketing as something that I wanted to do in the arts. And after that, I, uh, I did an internship at Signature Theater in Manhattan, which was an incredible experience as well, learned a lot. But that was in 2009 when we were in the recession and so theaters were just not hiring like I was hoping they would when I graduated and I ended up kind of getting stuck in like this retail rabbit hole working at the mall working at Trader Joe's for a long period of time and just feeling sort of directionless like 
was this degree sort of a, a waste of time or I don't know, just not not feeling a lot of purpose from like on top at FAMU then kind of, I don't know, a lull um, in my career, not really having any direction, but, you know, just pushing through, getting up, going to work every day, doing what I have to do. And then, you know, we got married, uh, moved to New York City. And I think that was probably as happy as I was, you know, to to be married and and adulting and all of that. I still just, I was just lost. You know, you had established your career and I was kind of like sitting on the sidelines, like I have no idea what the hell I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, and that was just really, really tough. So when you started talking about moving to Philly, I was like, okay, this is this is my opportunity to leave Trader Joe's after six years and start fresh and not move to Philly and move to another another retail situation and and do this all over again. This is like time for a, a rebirth. And so so I quit, came here, was unemployed for a few months and um, then found my way to Public Health Management Corporation, very much thanks to your family, your cousin who was a participant in the youth empowerment program that I'm a part of right now. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Um, it's been, it's been a very interesting journey. You're listening to the third lap podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah. Shout out to Jada, my cousin, little cuzzo. Um, I haven't seen her in a minute because of the pandemic and stuff, but she's out here still, you know, repping it and making change in her community and her environment, having been a part of all of those different experiences. So first shout outs to you, because so when I came home from college, I was unemployed, I mean, several months before I ended up getting uh, the work that I got at Bonnie Bray. And so when we used to go out, Allison, even though she was only getting a little bit of chicken from her internship, she was tricking on your boy, you know what I mean? She was taking care of the kids. She was giving me some food, you know what I'm saying? She was doing all right by your boy, man. Um, and so, you know, when I hear people's stories about how, like, they come up and then all of a sudden they get their hands on a little bit of money and they leave their day ones behind, like, I can't relate to that, you know? Me and my wife have been through so many different struggles and when I reflect on very humble beginnings for us as a couple, you know, she was, it was never judgmental. Like she knew I was going to get on my feet, hopefully eventually. And, you know, I think that like, it took me time. It took you time. We're both now in a very different place, which is dope as professionals um, that I think when we first got together, neither of us would have envisioned we would be where we are because education wasn't on the landscape for me. Public health wasn't something that you were thinking about. You know, I was rapping, you were acting, we were, we were grinding in the arts and, you know, eventually it made sense for me to transition away from rap because it just wasn't going to provide the lucrative opportunity that I had envisioned for so many different reasons. Um, and I was very fortunate to end up where I was. But it, it was tough to watch you honestly kind of struggle through some of the transitional changes because you still were going out on auditions. You were still putting your best foot forward. Um, but things hadn't really fallen into place for you. And I knew that like Trader Joe's was a place that you just didn't want to be both because you mentioned it, but like you didn't complain necessarily as much as you had envisioned something very different and had invested so much time and energy into your career and your craft. And, and you are like, I tell hat all the time, like hat is an artist, like you are an artist, like you're a creative. And if you're not able to create, like, I know how tough that can be on somebody that is a creative. And so you, talked about that transition from 
leaving Trader Joe's to us going to Philadelphia. But there was a huge, gigantic, monumental situation that took place in between you leaving Trader Joe's and us going to Philadelphia. And we're going to give it its time now because this was, for me, still, like, one of the best things that I've ever seen you do. And, like, any time now you, when you have any self-doubt, I'll point back to this situation of, like, Allison, you did this so you can do anything. And so I'm going to give the floor to you um, (laughs) because I would love for you to talk about that experience and ultimately how that impacted, like, your trajectory moving forward. That's so funny because I it literally just slipped my mind um, and it often does. And so that's something I got to dive deep in with my therapist. That's uh, what I'm here tomorrow. for. That's why <laughs> uh, excuse I'm here, me. to remind you, <laughs> you cannot forget about that because it was very important. So. It was. It was. First, though, let me just say that, you know, you talked about about in the beginning of our relationship and my, you know, when we would go out and stuff, like I would want to go out and and enjoy ourselves and stuff like that. And and I had, you know, no problem paying. But, you know, when we got married to see you really do what needed to be done for us to be able to, like, you know, live on our own and 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 have any sort of decent life as a married couple, like you, you carried us and, and I'll forever be appreciative of that. You could have very easily been like, listen, this is not for me, you know, get your act together. And you didn't like you, you stepped into, into some roles that I know that, like you said, you didn't envision for yourself. I know that not, that wasn't just for us um, and the paycheck and everything. It just means so much to me that like you, you put our family first in so many instances when you really did not have to. So I love you. But yeah, so the, the, the big thing that you just mentioned. Um, so yeah, towards the end of my time at Trader Joe's, a colleague of mine, um, Jared Hall, who's also an actor, we were just talking about how difficult it is to break into the industry and how we've been trying and just unsuccessful. And we were like, okay, so what are we going to do about this? And we, at first, thought that we were going to do some, like, YouTube videos. We were going to, like, film some, you know, short sketches and things like that. We're trying to write some, and it just wasn't really moving along the way we wanted it to. So I was like, what would you think about producing a play? And he was on board. And I was like, okay, well, I have, I have uh, a play in mind. Um, can I say the name of it on here? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, it's a it's a play by Stephen Adley Gerges. It was on Broadway a few years ago, actually in 2011, I want to say, with um, Bobby Carnavale and Chris Rock. It's called The Mother with the Hat, um, and it's just an incredible, incredible play about relationships and addiction and living in New York City and really just everyday people. Um, He is one of my absolute favorite playwrights and I highly recommend reading or seeing or listening to his plays if you have the opportunity. So yeah, so from the ground up, we just decided that we were gonna produce the show and star in it because that was the entire point. We figured out how to secure the rights to the show. We found a venue, uh, which we 
performed it at the Secret Theater in Long Island City, which I think may be closing because of COVID, which is incredibly sad as well. And yeah, we held auditions, uh, we cast it, we cast um, three incredibly talented actors with us who were also continuing to work and found a director and then just started rehearsing. And we had to, to pay for this thing out of pocket. We held some fundraisers. Thank you to everyone who, who helped us along the way because um, there were, were a lot of challenges financially, creatively, all sorts of things. And then in the middle of that, we moved to Philadelphia. So then I had to be on a bus every week, uh, riding up to New York City to get to rehearsal, to just make sure that everything was going smoothly, marketing it. Yeah, then in, I think this was uh, October of 2017, we we had our, our run of the show. Five performances had a, a great turnout. And yeah, it was just, it was incredibly fulfilling to know that like from start to finish, I put this together. Haven't done anything like it since, um, but would definitely look to do it again in the future. But it was, it was just a really great, great experience. It really was. And I remember opening night showing up and like, I had to, I brought you something. I can't remember what it was that I brought you. Like you ran and like literally jumped into my arms, and I was it, it was just a great moment. Um, and you know when I think about that show again, shout outs to everyone that came out to support. Um, I it just Wayne Tan man from Selected he came to one of the shows and just thinking about the homies that popped out on my end that showed up like yo mad love to y'all man for that's I will forever respect the fact that y'all showed up because you know that's just dope. Um, but just seeing the show. And that moment, but also people coming to me be like, yo, I didn't even know your wife. Like, I didn't even know she could talk like that. Because everybody thinks that Allison is this innocent girl next door. She is. She's, she's a wonderful human being, very empathetic, just a, a, a adult person just in general. But if you think that you won't get cursed out uh, <laughs> saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, you got Allison twisted. So, yeah, so it was just funny, like, my family members that came out and friends and stuff that saw you act, I was like, <gasps> like, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't even I didn't even know she could act like that. And I was like, yeah, man, I've been telling y'all, man, y'all just don't listen, bro. But it was just an incredible show. And that was the first time I saw you, like, audition uh, once, but that was really the first time I got a chance to, like, see you in action. And I actually went to two of the different shows, went to the first one and I believe the last one. And so it was crazy, the difference, because the first show was dope. It was amazing. The last show was dope and amazing, but it was different. Like the energy that you all fed off from the crowd each night, it seemed as though like it helped just immerse you all into your characters more and more. The folks that you cast and watching you do this was great because I felt like you needed that at this moment in time because you were really kind of trying to figure out if it was even possible to make a situation happen for yourself. And I'm always that person like, yo, just do it yourself. But I don't know the first thing about acting. So I'm gonna always be like, yo, do it. I, I tell people that I don't know nothing about what you do, but do it, do it for yourself. And so we have been talking to them for the longest time. I'm like, hey, Allison, just go ahead and do it yourself. And I know I wasn't the catalyst for you doing this, but you know, to see you really digging, casting, you know, going on websites, looking at people's uh, headshots, bringing folks in for, you know, the casting uh, calls and 
like casting the play and the folks that you all chose. Oh my God. Like the actors and actresses that you all had involved with you and Jared was like, yo, like, I, I wish I could pay for this again. I wish, <laughs> I wish I could do it all over again because it was amazing. But I also want to give you a chance just to talk a little bit about that process because I feel like there's a lot that goes into producing your own show independently. So I don't know if you wanted to like name any of the actors or actresses that participated. Also, I want to say, so I was ready to make my directorial debut. Like I was going to step in when they was looking for a director. I was like, yeah, your boy got you. Um, I would step in and do the thing, but Allison was like, listen, you know, we're going to get a professional. So they went a different way. But I just wanted people to know that I had put my name in the ring, too, but they decided I wasn't a good fit. <laughs> we got you on the next one, baby. Listen, don't make promises you can't keep because I'm going to step right in on this next one. Go. I don't know the first thing about directing a play, but I'm going to make it happen. But yeah, anyone that you wanted to like name specifically um like you said these folks are still acting still doing dope things right now currently but anyone you wanted to name thank um anything else you wanted to describe about the play absolutely so yeah definitely want to shout people out so gregory warren julian bones jay bones and Elias spinks uh who are our our other three incredible incredible actors and shout out to Aaliyah because she brought um Larissa Olnick who played Alex Mack to the show so Alex Mack got to watch me act which was the most incredible thing and then also uh Dora Andre who was our director um who just did a, a brilliant job it was it was definitely an experience I had a couple of of emotional mental breakdowns throughout that process trying to trying to raise the money there were moments where I was like this is just not going to happen because you know I'm unemployed like I literally have nothing left to give from my bank account to make this happen but you know you my family your family friends everyone really just rallied together to 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 ensure that like all of this was not for nothing I, I couldn't even begin to like rehash the the whole process that went into this but just so much goes into production. And so, you know, you're sitting and you're watching the final product and it looks like a couple of people on the stage reciting lines, you know, crying in front of each other, but you don't see the immense amount of work that goes into to ensuring that everything is done correctly and safely, you know, Thank you to my brother specifically because he volunteered. He came out and like was trying to run the camera and the lights and things like that. Oh yeah, and also, uh, sorry, Suki, who is our stage manager, she also did an incredible job. I feel so bad I could not leave her out. Um, she was like climbing the ladder into the booth and like trying to get back to work in time. There, there was a night that we were there until like two in the morning. Um, but just, yeah, so many hands touch the performing art that you're consuming. Um, and really it it's it goes so far beyond the artists and the actors. Yeah, shout out to Drew. I was thinking about him too. I was like, yeah, I forgot Drew was shooting. The, he was on the camera, the cameraman. Um, but yeah, the whole team, everybody that you all had involved in that play, it was just incredible. Um, it was incredible. I was so happy for you. You know, I look forward to you continuing this in the future. There's no doubt in my mind that you figure out how to do this again, probably financially in a different situation or space. So like, you know, you're relying less on 
other people donating and more on like grants and stuff like that because you've now done it and like you've also expanded your knowledge and wherewithal in regards to just like sort of the financial landscape you know if y'all ain't know my baby she get her mba you know what i'm saying i already mentioned it but she get into the paper now <laughs> so you know i look forward to the next opportunity that you have because it's just it's great seeing you in your element you know it it really was it was just an amazing opportunity as someone to watch you do your thing, uh, it was just incredible. So glad we got a chance to touch base on that. You know, shouts out to everyone that was in involved, everyone that donated, certainly everyone that showed up and showed support for the week long run of it. Because if you didn't, man, you was tripping. Cause this thing right here, boy, ooh wee. I saw the so I saw the one that that uh, it was Lawrence Fishburne was in there, right? No, no. So he's in a, a different one. He's actually, right, right, um, right. yeah, that was Our Lady of One Hundred Twenty First Street. Which is crazy. That one is yeah. dope too. All of it his plays, all all the plays that that um, Stephen Adley Gerges has written are just wow. Like at least yeah. the two that I've seen so far are incredible. Yeah. So this is once again the Third Lap Podcast. I'm here with Allison Marshall Davis. Allison Davis, my wonderful wife, actor, advocate, and also public health professional. We're talking about her career to this point. And so I feel like this is a great opportunity for you to talk about the public health work that you're currently doing, because I I, I am in, impressed, you know, that you've made this transition into the work that you currently do. What you're doing is so important here in the city of Philadelphia. And so I would love for you to just kind of describe what it is that you do, sort of like what impact this having on the city. Sure. Yeah. So right now I am the program manager for the Advocacy Institute, uh, which is a youth empowerment program in Philadelphia that teaches young people how to assess their communities, um, figure out what the strengths and weaknesses are, and then advocate for the needs um, of their communities through media advocacy, policy advocacy, and community organizing. Yeah, so so this is not something that I envisioned for myself at any point in my life. But, you know, as I said before, shout out to your cousin Jada. Um, she was a participant in the program um, when she was in high school and did some absolutely incredible work around tobacco advocacy and, and taking down big tobacco. So one weekend she was like, you know, come meet my supervisor. We're, we're doing an event. They did a zombie walk around Philadelphia where they literally like dressed up and painted their faces as zombies to just represent how tobacco affects, you know, its users and, and smokers. Um, and they literally zombie walked to different pharmacies in Philadelphia that sell tobacco products, you know, places that are supposed to be stores promoting wellness, but, you know, are selling these, these uh, cancer-causing products. She was like, you know, we're looking for adult volunteers, just come out, see what we're about, see what we're doing. And so I did that, was beyond impressed and just floored with the commitment of these, these young people who were literally between like 13 and 18 years old. They looked at their communities, they looked at what Big Tobacco was doing by targeting marginalized groups, people of color, specifically Black people, young people, they call them replacement smokers because they know that their clientele is going to die off. And, you know, 
the LGBT community, just just any marginalized group you can think of, big tobacco, it's not by accident that, that these are the, the communities that smoke the most. But so to see these young people just truly passionate about this, these issues, I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm sold. And so a position became available. I went for it. Um, I didn't actually have as much involvement in the tobacco advocacy. They were expanding into um, opioid misuse advocacy. So I helped put together a statewide program around opioid misuse prevention in young people because that's on the rise. And because, you know, a lot of times young people are getting opioids from sports injuries, things like that, where it's it's sanctioned by a doctor, but the doctor isn't, you know, doing a lot to educate young people on the risk of addiction. Put together that program, um, the young people that I worked with put together this incredible prevention campaign called the PA Opioid Prevention Project, and were able to present their findings to um, Josh Shapiro, who is the attorney general here in Pennsylvania. It, isn't what I envision myself doing, but I've always been an advocate of people and someone who um, just feels the need to stand up for people who um, may not always have the tools to stand up for themselves and, and helping to empower young people to recognize what it is that they need, what it is that they don't have access to has just, it's been truly rewarding. I learn so much from these kids every single day because they're always, they're just always teaching me something new that I had never thought about, which is truly incredible. And when we don't give, not give, that's, that's a terrible word. When young people aren't allowed a seat at the table, we miss out on so much. You know, everyone, I feel like everyone crapped on millennials when we were coming up. You know, we were the lazy entitled generation and people just hated us. I don't ever want to do that to Gen Z. They are, they're truly leaders and they are the ones who are going to save this world um, if it can be saved at this point, because we've done a lot of damage. So yeah, so working in public health um, have started uh, my MBA through them, which is is pretty awesome. I, I want to be able to to use those skills um, to just further the advocacy that these young people are doing and and help them grow as advocates and and grow as entrepreneurs and yeah, just just be of service in any way that I can. I've learned so much just from the work that you're doing, um, like coming home and teaching me about opioids. You know, the opioid epidemic is a real thing here in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's a real thing throughout this entire country. And the big difference that you named is that they're coming legally um, through pain medication. I was I had to get some teeth removed and, you know, I was popping them pills and it got to a point where, like, I was kind of concerned because I was like, yo, the pain is so real that I need to take these. But I also know just from what you've told me and what you've taught me that, like, this could end up as an addiction. And I know homies that I play sports with, more specifically football, that ended up having to move away from opioids to like CBD oil, or even sometimes edibles and marijuana because like they they made that choice of, yo, I would much rather deal with weed than I would with these opioids because these opioids got me open out here, man. And you know, yeah. when you copping them off the street and these things are now being cut with different things and people are dying. Um, and so, you know, I've learned a lot 
the work that you all were doing around tobacco was really important. Some of the like the statistics that you brought home and some of the things that you've taught me about that. I'm not a smoker, but, you know, I'm, I'm anti big tobacco 100 percent through and through because of what you said, like the targeted marketing that they do towards our young people. Um, and I remember even as a little homie, like the little candy cigarettes. And, you know, when you grow up and you think about some of that stuff, like, yo, how was we six, seven, eating, like smoking all yeah. these drinks, like they were real and, and eating candy cigarettes, you know, it, it, it definitely influenced our behaviors in a way that we didn't anticipate. Um, and so, you know, I love the fact that you're now in this work. And like you said, it wasn't what you intended on doing. I mean, I didn't intend being in talent and education. You know, the beautiful thing about life is that it takes you in a direction that you need to go. Um, I think that these opportunities have, again, provided for us professionally in a way that we didn't anticipate, but has been good for our growth and, and has shown us what we're capable of doing um, in regards to like stretching and moving into places that we weren't necessarily trained to be. You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah. You had spoken about the play and just the difficulty of it and all the hard things that you had gone through with that and also about your job as well. And like, that's what the Third Lab podcast is about. Um, and so are there any like difficulties that you wanna name or lift up specifically that you think people can learn from or things that you've gone through that you're like, yo, like I really wanna name this because you know I know that there may be other young black women going through this or young women going through this or young people going through this that can potentially use this as motivation to turn the corner. Sure, I would say probably the number one my number one hang up over the years um, has dealt directly with my anxiety, um, social anxiety, and just just being <laughs> a big anxious mess. Um, and um, I'm now able to name that and to call it what it is. Um, but for a long time, it was just feeling sensitive, you know, scared. And, and all of these things that we're taught we're not supposed to be, or that we're supposed to get over. Anxiety is, is one of the most crippling things that I've had to face in spaces where I know that I belong. Intellectually, I know that, that I should be sitting here talking to these people, um, you know, being creative, um, being productive, but crippling anxiety um, has, has been something that I've, that I've dealt with over the years. I think that, you know, as Black people specifically, um, I won't speak for any other groups, but as Black people, we, we need to let go of our, our hangups about getting help for our, our mental health. I'm in therapy and I'm glad that I'm in therapy and it's helping. And I encourage anyone else who is struggling to, to work through things in their brain to, to seek out mental health expertise because yes, you can talk to your friends about it. Yes, you can pray on it. All of those things are helpful, but talking to a clinician who is specialized in, you know, psychiatry, psychology, the inner workings of the mind, there's just, there's nothing that can compare to that. And I think that my anxiety specifically has held me back in so many regards. There's so many opportunities that I walked away from or didn't take advantage of because of that fear 
and that nervousness that I just could not overcome. And had I been in therapy sooner, I might have been able to talk through some of that um, and really take advantage of those things. And, and who knows what my career and my life might look like right now. But yeah, I can't can't state enough just how important it is that that we as Black people really embrace mental health expertise, emotional health, uh, all of these things are so important. We have so much trauma just from, from, you know, living in the world that we live in today and then compound that with what our ancestors went through, you know, what our parents went through, that we're all still feeling. I am a pretty privileged person. I come from a two-parent household. Um, I've never, you know, feared not having a meal. I, I benefit from colorism. Um, I'm a, you know, hetero-presenting individual, um, despite, you know, uh, my, my, my queerish self. But even I have trauma, even I have to navigate the world as a Black woman. And so when I think about what my, you know, other Black brothers and sisters are going throughout here, it just, we, we have to, we have to let go of those hangups. Um, it is not a sign of weakness to, to go seek help. Um, it's, it's not a failure on anyone's part. It is what we need to do to rebuild ourselves and rebuild our communities. And, um, you know, if we're discouraging our children from getting the help that they need, then, then we are literally just passing this trauma down um, from generation to generation. And that's, that's no longer acceptable. We know better. And that goes right along the lines of pretty much everything that I've talked to folks about on a third lab podcast so far. A lot of it has been around people having to overcome their own mental health situations and circumstances. Your talk about anxiety actually helped me understand that I was suffering from anxiety. Um, anxiety was never a thing. Like I'm like, yo, you like somebody soft if they anxious and what you anxious about, like, yo, yo, just man up, woman up, like get the job done. And you know, I remember one day I'm going for a run and at the end of the run, I'm just, you know, thinking about a bunch of different things and I'm like reflecting and I'm like, wait a second, let me go look up anxiety. Cause like for real, for real, like I have this like warped definition of it in my mind, but let me really go see it. So, cause there's some things going on with me that like different, like, you know, the PTSD from, you know, dumbass choices I made in life and depression have, has been prevalent in my life since I was 14, but there had been something new happening that I was trying to like get a hold of and understand. And by golly, when I go look up this definition of anxiety, if a brother don't have it. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was, it was an aha moment for me. And I think I came home and apologized to you too. And was like, yo, my bad. Cause I, I really haven't empathized the way that I should, because like you said, like we taught that, yo, you just can't be vulnerable in that way. Like you gotta be tough. And like, as a black man, especially like, you know, with so many different targets on my back from so many different directions, including people that potentially look just like me, like I can't afford to take that time to even figure this out. And so, you know, because of my privilege and because of the fact that like I'm I'm relatively well compensated to do the things that I do, I've kind of removed myself from situations where I previously was and now I'm able to like think and reflect in a way that's drastically different because I'm not trying to survive anymore. I'm trying to succeed. And so that shift in mentality allowed me to just have a whole completely different perspective. And then getting older, you know, now I'm into my 30s 
can't believe that. That's crazy. That's why I shave and tell people I'm 28 because, you know, what I mean, they'll believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as as time went along and I realized, like, wow, you know, I'm really suffering from anxiety, too. Um, the therapy piece is imperative. And, you know, the tag for this show is each one teach one. We all learn together. But like the secondary tag should be mental health is a priority, um, especially in the black and brown community, because, again, we, we can't pray all these things away. Um, you know, weed and alcohol won't take all of these ailments away. It sometimes makes them worse that we made mine worse. You know, I had to take a, a huge jump backwards because we was like, was like, like making the flame larger. Like it was like putting light, lighting fluid on it. And, you know, it made it to the point where I was really like, damn, can I even manage this anymore? So, you know, I had to really make a, a different step for myself and for us um, because it was like, yo, this isn't it anymore. So folks that if you are experiencing anxiety, if you are experiencing depression, if you do have PTSD from situations or circumstances that you found yourself in or still find yourself in, there's nothing wrong with seeking out help. That is what strong people do. Weak people want to exist in that situation. Strong people figure out how to move forward and how to be able to fortify themselves against what's coming in the future. And so seek out mental health, uh, mental help and mental health professionals if you find that you are suffering from those ailments, it's imperative. And so, Allison, we've talked about so many different things. Um, you've named what you're currently doing, you know, where you currently are in your life. What are some of the things that you've had to overcome to even get to where you are? Where do you see yourself headed in the future? What's next for Allison Davis? That is a great question. One that I ask myself every single day um, because I truly have not no idea, but my life isn't anything how I pictured it. I, I certainly didn't picture being married to my, my middle school crush. I never thought that I'd be living in Philadelphia, and I certainly did not think that I would be in the public health field. I feel like this year is, is the first time that I've really taken a step back and, and thought about what my plan is moving forward. And, and so like enrolling in school and, and getting this degree is something that I picked for myself that I want. Beyond that though, it's like, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm excited to move through the day and, and see what opportunities present themselves to me. You know, at the beginning of this year, I was cast in a play that I was supposed to be doing and then COVID hit. And so that got canceled. But it was nice to know that, you know, even though my life has taken a different turn, um, that those artistic opportunities are still out there. So who knows? I could be in a play, you know, next year or the year after. I could be moving further into, uh, you know, the public health world. I could be starting my own business with this degree. Who knows? All I know is that I want to make sure um, that what I, whatever I'm doing, it's empowering the people. I so sorry, this is going back a little bit, you know, talking about the work that I'm doing with these young people um, and these public health issues really at the core of it is is breaking down these systems that are holding us back and, and talking about the underlying trauma that that feeds into these addictions and these, um, you know, the, the violence that's happening in our in, in our communities. You can't just address the surface level thing. Um, you have to undo the system. And so as I move forward um, with whatever it is that I'm doing, I want to make sure that I'm attacking those systems and and really just lifting up our people, uh, black people, 
we we have we've built this country. So yeah. So I really I just want to uplift the people and and do my best to make sure that that everyone is liberated and free. I think that we talk a lot about equality, even equity sometimes, but I don't I don't want to be equal to the next person. I want to be free to be my own person. So whatever I do moving forward, just it has to um, it has to center itself in in dismantling a lot of these these oppressive systems. You so now I want you to know. So the next merch that so we're gonna do the merch for the show. The first one is gonna be Black Joy is a Revolutionary Act. The second one is what you just said. I don't want to be equal to the next person. I want to be free to do what's best for me. Yo, that right there is a hundred percent what I what my philosophy is in life, right? Is that we want to be able to dismantle these systems of oppression and all these systemic things that have affected us, you know, proud boys, go F yourselves. Y'all did not build this country. Stop lying, yo. Like, you know, I got love for my immigrants. I got love for immigrants across the board, but stop trying to steal the legacy of slaves that built this country for free. They were enslaved. They were brought to this country. We were put out in fields. We were killed. We were raped. And then eventually after slavery was dismantled, we were then piped directly into the prison industrial complex to continue to work for free and reduced wages, man, and destroyed our communities, kept in ghettos by the police state. Yo, stop telling these lies, bruh, because they're lies. And y'all know they're lies because we know history less than you know history, and we know their lies. So you absolutely know that as well. And so, you know, as far as going towards dismantling these systems, you know, I 100% see that for you, Allison, because you are so empathetic. Like, you know, we sit and we laugh, about so many different things, but I think that we also bond over the fact that we want to see people not have to struggle. We want to, I mean, you got me caring about puppies and dogs. Like, I, I mean, I was never, I was whatever. <laughs> now I see a dog, like, yo, who did this to this dog? Yo, why is this dog on social media? What, what happened to the dog? I'm on somebody's neck behind this dog now. Shout out to the dog moms. Yes. Yeah, shout out to the dog moms, man. But, you know, this, you will 100% find yourself in that space. And I like what you said about just taking every day as it comes and maximizing the opportunities that present themselves. Because, you know, as an old Yiddish proverb, we make plans and God laughs. And there's so much truth to that. Like what I loved about Marquise Richards, episode number five, what he said is that his year 25 year or year 26, oh, he's 25, I think. But his, his year this year is about intentionality and him naming that was dope. And afterwards, after that episode, you know, I've said that to so many other different people like, yo, be intentional because intentionality is so important, but we can only plan but so much before life takes control as well. There are things that we can't see, right? Like, you know, that's why we have to have a plan A, B, C, D, E, Z, all the way down the line because, you know, life is going to throw you things and you got to be able to adjust in the moment. Like those are the people that make it. Those are the people that ultimately become successful. The Third Lab podcast is all about those people that made those adjustments to be able to find themselves in a much better place further on down the road and are now looking to motivate and impact and uplift the voices of people that look like themselves or have been through similar circumstances and situations. And so, Allison, we've we've now covered so many different things. Again, this is Mal Davis here on the Third Lab podcast with Allison Davis, um, actor, advocate, public health professional, um, just all around dope human being. 
my wife, of course, you know, she getting, she about to get to the money. So your boy going to have his feet kicked up, you know what I mean? Loafers <laughs> and all that. <laughs> you got that. You got that. Um, but so let's talk about what motivates you to be successful. What motivates you to even push through? You know, you've talked about your anxiety, but I've watched you overcome that anxiety. You know, you didn't, you were a person that didn't want to work with kids. Now, you know, you work less with the kids than you did before, but a big part of your job for the past, what, two years um, was working with students, was working with kids, teaching kids, being in schools with kids. Oh my goodness, never thought I'd see my wife in school with kids during school time hours, but she's doing it and the kids respected her. You know, they grew, she grew. And so what motivates you? What's the reason for all of this? Why do you want to create this change and impact? Um, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's hard to like sit, I, I, I don't understand people who can sit back and watch things crumble around them and, and not feel motivated to do something. Um, and that's not to say that everyone should be, you know, ready to, to jump up and, and fix the world. Um, but something like, you know, contributing in some way um, to society and to, to your community Truthfully, from from an advocacy standpoint, um, I think that just the Trayvon Martin killing had an impact on me that that I still carry to this day um, because he just that could have been my little brother. Um, and I think that from there, Things have just spawned for me, um, wanting to, to protect our children, wanting to protect our communities, wanting to protect our, our mothers and our fathers who are losing their children. Yeah, I, I, I never envisioned myself working with, with children. And there were many a day when I came home frustrated because, you know, these kids just don't listen. But the fact is, oftentimes I was the one not listening. Um, and so I had to very much had to check myself, but they really, really do motivate me seeing the way they interact with each other, seeing them, you know, respect each other's pronouns, seeing them not just want to focus on what it is that we're trying to, to, to force them to focus on, like, you know, big tobacco and opioids and things like that. You know, they're like, well, why aren't we talking about this issue? This is happening in my community. Why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we addressing this? That motivates me like nothing else. I, I, wish, I wish that I had the, the stamina and the wherewithal to accomplish what it is that these young people um, in Philadelphia and really across the globe are, are accomplishing now um, and will continue to accomplish. So yeah, just, I think that is, is my biggest motivator from, from an advocacy standpoint. And on a personal level, you've definitely motivated me uh, when we were living in Queens um, and you were finding your footing in education and really just moving up the ranks in your career, there was a little, little twinge of jealousy, but overall it was incredible to watch you grow and, and find your purpose. And so that was a, a huge motivating factor for me. And it, it took me a little while to, to realize 
that I was being motivated. Um, but it just, it just, just watching your growth and your purpose um, made me really dig deep within myself to, to figure out what more than, than retail I could have going on. Um, and that's, that's a huge piece of why, like I decided to do the play, um, just needing that, that purpose, but yeah. It was funny. Uh, you told me something, and I, maybe you remember saying this. Maybe you don't. It could have just been sort of in passing, but definitely stuck with me. But we were having a conversation one day, and you were like, "I learn more from what you do than what you say." And I was like, "Well, okay." I don't know. You how know to I don't listen that. to you. I don't, I don't listen to you either. So you know, <laughs> we equal. But you know, when you said that, I was like, "All right, say less." Like you know, and and that's my motto in life. Really, is say less, do more. Um, don't talk about it, be about it, because, you know, talking about it is not going to change anything. If you go ahead and you just do the job, then people will talk about it for you. Um, and so, you know, when you said that to me, it really did help me in a lot of ways understand how to potentially frame what success or successful pursuits look like in our relationship, as opposed to talking to you about it or talking with you through it. And we still do that, too. But like, you know, seeing you get after your MBA has motivated me to think about what is next for me in my career and what are the next steps for me in my pursuit of a legacy and impact beyond potentially education or potentially what I'm doing right now. And so, you know, I think that that goes both ways. But yeah, tinge a little more than the tinge. You should have seen the poison darts that she was shooting at me from her eyes when I was home because I was home on Christmas break. I had deserved it. I was home. I'm sleeping in. She waking up to go to work. And I did something wrong. That had nothing to do with with (laughs) your career growth. That had to do with you being at home all the time. Oh, no. I know. You wasn't (laughs) mad at my career growth. You was mad that I got a school schedule, that I get off holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she was kind of sick about it. But, you know, we good. She she made it through. She good. And so, babe, we're getting to the end of this podcast. Again, thank you so much for being on here. You know, you... You, you committed to this sort of last minute, too. We have been talking about having you on the show, um, but we nailed down a date. We nailed down a date, and the date was kind of last minute, and you jumped right in, and you, you know, you've had, in my opinion, an excellent episode. Um, you shed a lot of light on who you are as a person, what motivates you to do the work that you do you know, where you would like to go in the future and some of the things that you'd like to engage in. And so as we get to the back end of this, where, you know, time is almost up here, what are your motivational thoughts for the people? And so my wife has heard every episode either because I forced her to listen to them or she's done it on her own. So I think she knows the format as well as anybody, if not better than me, potentially. Um, And so, you know, you know, at the end of this, I always want to have like that two to three minute piece where people get a chance to just name for the folks listening what is it that they absolutely want them to walk away with and so what are your motivational thoughts for the people really just that that we need to stop comparing ourselves to others and comparing our successes and our shortcomings um to to that which we see you know on facebook and instagram and things like that we all come into ourselves in a different way um, through just different different pathways, different obstacles, different struggles. And you just, you never know what the next person is going through, but you do know where you come from. And so I feel like we need to honor ourselves 
and and be gentle with ourselves and allow ourselves to be authentic there's there's so much pressure to fit into these these different like formats i feel like there's there's even a template for being unique and and we have we have to break those templates like we we are unique just in the fact that we've all had such different experiences and so i i hope that people will listen to themselves um won't suppress the the beauty um that's within them i i i look at people who who get you know mocked on on instagram and stuff like that for their you know gender identities and and things like that and it breaks my heart because people who are able to present themselves as their most authentic selves should be the happiest. Um, I'm I'm eager to get to a place where I am just happy with who I am, no matter what the next person thinks of me. That's that's not my business. Um, so I really hope that that people can just honor who they are without that that external pressure. For sure, love yourself. That's such an important part of just coming into your own and like that personal evolution. It took me a really, I mean, I still don't completely love myself. There are aspects of me that, you know, I want to continue to work on and self-doubt has been my biggest deterrent for success throughout most of my life, um, especially my adult life. You know, I confront, you know, I fake it till I make it in a lot of situations, but being yourself, loving who you are is imperative. Um, respect people's pronouns, like that's imperative. You know, people aren't just, I think that there's this like, there's this just misconception that everybody just wants to be a different pronoun because it's cool. And like, you know, some people are doing it because they they are trying to figure themselves out. Some people may be doing it for clout chasing purposes, but like that should not take away from the fact that there are people legitimately being able to identify themselves in a unique manner for the first time ever in their entire life. And we need to stop trying to take that moment away from people. We need to stop shaming and slamming people on social media anonymously most of the time. Um, you know, people hiding behind cats and dogs and waves and all of these things, afraid to put their, their selves out there because they don't love themselves the way that they need to. And so stop trying to take away from somebody else's legacy and identity. And like you said, man, you know, the journey really is to be able to love ourselves and not care what the next person thinks. You know, I, I front like I don't, but I care what people think. You know, I think that we all do to a certain extent. I may not care as much as someone else, but you know, we, I think that we all care what other people think about us. Um, if we didn't, we'd be dangerous people um, because I think that if you don't care what other people think, then like you just out here doing recklessness. <laughs> and I'm not trying to promote this whole scale recklessness across the board. I think that, you know, you have to find balance between being able to understand that people may have a different version or I, there are people that still see me as 19 year old Malcolm um, and they'll never see me as anything else. And that version of Malcolm is not who I am today. You know, I'm not who I was at 30. And so, you know, you, you have to be able to understand that that's a real thing. 
um, and take that time to love yourself. And so, Allison, it's been great seeing your journey of self-exploration and identification and, you know, self-love and all the things that you've done to put yourself in a much better place where you love who you are. Um, I'm here for it. And, you know, I continue to be in your corner and a champion of yours as you go through this process, because I don't want you to feel like you can't be who you're supposed to be in this in this life. We only get one chance at this. And, you know, hopefully for all of us, it ends with that final move of this is who I am. This has always been who I am and love me for it or don't. But it ain't going to change. Um, and so, you know, we're now here again at the end. And I feel like every episode I do this, I say we're at the end for like 15 minutes. And then it never ends. <laughs> so maybe I got to get better or maybe better with editing. I don't know. Maybe I edit the thing so I could take that out. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but um, so we're here at the reading portion. So as everyone knows, I will hope you already know. If you haven't checked it out already on the thirdlappodcast.com. So the thirdlappodcast.com. There's a reading list. We have our own little book club. Every episode, people suggest books to read. The books run like the full spectrum um, of all the things that you can imagine. And so Allison would love to get, we we have a dope library downstairs of just so many different books. <laughs> so my wife just bought me a dope book from Dick Gregory um, and bought herself some books as well. And so, yeah, what are your book suggestions? All right. So I got quite a few. Um, I'm definitely a reader. I was late many a time to work because I didn't want to put my book down. Um, so I'll start out with the, with the fiction. Um, I've been telling everyone for like seven years to read the Passage trilogy and no one will read it. I need somebody to talk to about it. Um, the Passage by Justin Cronin, Fox tried to turn it into a series a couple of years ago. It did not do this book justice, um, but it's an incredibly just, it, it's, it's an epic truly um the passage and the the two follow-up books to that as well um i'm thinking of ending things by ian Ray, uh ian reed um charlie kaufman turned it into a netflix movie i won't even go into how he ruined that story um it's an incredible incredible suspenseful emotional um and dark book I highly recommend it. Uh, Wild Seed by Octavia Butler. She's an incredible fantasy sci-fi um, black woman writer. Um, and then moving into the uh, the nonfiction, you have to read Asada um, by Asada Shakur. Truly incredible. Anything by James Baldwin. Um, anything by James Baldwin. Read it all. The Fire Next Time. All of it. Um, How to Be Black by Baratunde Thurston was incredible. It's funny, it's um, insightful, and just it's for the culture. Um, I know that I have a couple of more, but I'll send them to you later. Um, but yeah. No, we're going to talk about, I'm thinking about ending things, because you sat down, you made me watch this movie. <laughs> this movie ain't make no sense. <laughs> it broke out into musical. I'm sitting here at the end like, why are they doing musicals? First of all, this they sat in the car for two hours talking to each other. And then there's all types of craziness going on in this thing. This woman that had me watch this thing. And then now that she don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Read the book. The movie was trash. The movie was absolute trash. Like, do not watch that movie. Book, I Like, I promise you that book was incredible. It was so amazing. Please, please check it out and don't watch the movie. 
<laughs> Sorry, Netflix. The movie was like one of those art house, we're going to be smarter than everybody else kind of joints. And yeah. it didn't land. And having yeah. not read the book, I think I, I walked away with a little bit. My wife was tight. She was tight. Like at the end of that joint, she was upset. I went and read the reviews because I was like, all right, let me see what other people are saying too. A lot of people were agreeing with Allison. And you know, you always have that crowd of people. It's like those... Like the people that are like, yes, I understood it. You're just not <laughs> smart enough to get it. There's a handful of books like that. You know, you get them clout chasing high cappers. Like, stop it. Mm -hmm. You ain't get it either. Yeah. That movie was no. horrible. It didn't make sense. So if you understood that, then that's on you. If you understood that, you're a psychopath. And <laughs> don't be out here in these streets doing crazy stuff. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So, Allison, I'm, I almost said it. I didn't say it, though. I almost said it. But we are here at the end. <laughs> And so social media, where can people find you or when can, where can people engage with some of the things that you've done previously or things that you care about? So you can always find me on Instagram at why not Allison. Um, but more than that, I want to encourage you to visit um, at advocacy. I which is the Instagram page for um, the Advocacy Institute. Check out what our young people are doing. Um, they do some really incredible work. So that's at Advocacy I. Um, and then also check out my girl Freddie on Instagram. Um, that is the page that our dog is, uh, you know, running. She's she's doing her thing on the on the IG. Um, I manage that for her. But yeah. Dog got mad followers, and I'm gonna be jealous because I can't. I'm at like 60 with the podcast or 70 something. I also don't understand Instagram. How my dog has a better comprehension of Instagram is far beyond me. Freddie is a genius, and Allison is behind the scenes because our dog doesn't have opposable thumbs, so she can't pose nothing. But the picture, she just be Freddie is just photogenic, she just be posing. Um, we just introduced the little homie Hampton into the family, and so. We got a dope picture where Freddie is uh, on our porch looking down at Hampton, telling the small guy to just stay there because he can't <laughs> climb steps yet. Even though he's trying, he's he'll run after his, his big sis. Um, but yeah, so definitely check out the Advocacy Institute social media. Um, check out Allison's Instagram. And then also check out my girl, Freddie. We're still trying to figure out how, if we change the name at all to include Hampton, he's just going to be in the picture. He'll be all right. He don't know. He, he's not. He's like his dad. He ain't social media ready at all. We just be out here. We just be out here doing the thing. And then, you know, they'll come and tell us, like, I right, post for this, John. And then we do what we do. And then we out again. Um, and so, yeah, check out all the socials. Um, again, Allison, I really want to thank you for jumping in. And in full transparency, I, like, hung up in the middle of this conversation. So this is part two of what was supposed to be a one-part conversation that went straight through that ended up in half and Allison jumped right back in again, fully committed um, on a Sunday. Nonetheless, you know, we're sitting here, her giants, the last time I looked like 40 minutes ago, uh, were beating the Eagles. And so <sighs> now I got to get her downstairs to watch this game so that the giants will lose. That's a whole nother story for another podcast episode. But Allison is, she's a bad luck charm for the giants. And so anybody, if you, if you don't like the giants, and you know my wife, call her and be like, yo, go turn the game on real quick. And then as soon as she sit down to watch that, the Giants start losing. It's amazing. It's true. <laughs> so I'm going to get it this game. I'm going to get it downstairs. We're going to watch this, John. The Giants going to lose. The Eagles shall be victorious. Um, but in all seriousness, Allison, you know, I am 
so blessed to have you as my wife and partner in life and in this work of trying to figure out how to uplift our communities and uplift ourselves. Um, you know, the 11 years we've been together and the 23 years we've known each other has felt like a lifetime in a good way because I feel like, you know, there are still things that we learn about each other, which is dope, but we also have gotten an understanding of how each of us operate so that we can really speak to each other's strengths. Um, and, you know, there was a time where we were so intently focused on our differences that we didn't really maximize the things that we have in common, which is a lot of things. Um, and so, you know, I'm so looking forward to continuing this pathway with you, continuing to grow our family and grow ourselves. And, you know, looking back on this episode 10, 20, 30 years from now and being like, wow, we were like kids when we did that. Like, look, at, we actually got kids now. Like, we get to share this potentially with our children and, you know, even, you know, depending on how things go with their children. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that we had a chance to sit down and do this. Again, thank you for being a good sport and jumping in here um, because Skype sucks and Skype deleted my cousin's conversation. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to ask my wife to jump in so that the, the episode order will remain the same as she was all in and, and did it. Um, and so, baby, I love you. Thank you. Um, any last things that you want to say on the way out? I love you, too. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm so proud of you. Like everything that you've accomplished with this podcast is it's going so well. I love hearing the stories of, of the people who have um, been in your life and, and, you know, helped you along the way in, in your journey. So um, I'm so grateful to be to be part of this. Um, and I also just want to shout out my my parents and my brother and sister because I I didn't before. So love you all. And so when y'all hear this, just remember that I shouted y'all out, right? And so she waited to the end. I shouted y'all out early. Oh. You know what I mean? She trying to drown me out now and talk over me, but I shouted y'all out early on, Mr. and Mrs. Marshall. Stop colluding on fantasy football trades. I love y'all. <laughs> they out here, they trying to they trying to underhand win like Trump out here, man. They try to trump this fantasy league, and I'm not here for this. <laughs> Don't I'm do that. <laughs> But um definitely shouts out to Mr. and Mrs. Marshall, um, Andrew, Aaron, uh Ian, um, Aunt Mo, everybody, man, Mike, you know, her whole family, just some of the dopest people I've ever had the experience of interacting with. And like they've just welcomed me into their family with open arms. Um, yeah, aunt and uncle. Um, I know that I've, I've missed some names here because I can't think of everybody, but y'all know who y'all are. I love y'all, man. Um, shout out to my family, too, just because y'all are some amazing individuals. And, you know, everyone that I'm naming really helped me to get to the point where this podcast was even a reality. So thank you all for that. I appreciate you. So this is Mal Davis here with Allison Davis <laughs> for episode number nine of the Third Lap Podcast. Each one, teach one. We all learn together. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. This is your host, Mal Davis. Please visit thethirdlappodcast.com for more information about the podcast, about our guests, and also to see our reading list. You can find us at the Third Lap Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook, at Third Lap on Twitter, and at Third underscore Lap underscore Podcast on Instagram. 
If you know anyone that would be great to be featured on this show, please reach out to our host, Mal Davis. He's always looking for interesting people to learn more about them and to talk about their pathway. Thank you so much again. Have a good one.